About Empathy is a podcast that focuses on patient, caregiver, and healthcare provider experiences with serious illness. We are now in our third season. Thank you for listening. Week by week, we hope these engaging conversations inspire you to have empathic and compassionate interactions. I'm Dr. Irene Ying, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Dr. Dori Zekaracia, Dr. Giovanna Siriani. We are physicians working in palliative care and psychosocial oncology at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center in Toronto. This podcast gives voice to the patient, caregiver, and healthcare provider experience. By reflecting on their stories, we hope to improve our practice and yours. Kirsty Hong is a spiritual care practitioner at Sunnybrook. She often finds herself clarifying the role she plays on the healthcare team to other hospital staff and patients. Kirsty provides emotional support to any patient, regardless of their faith community or agnostic or atheist beliefs. Kirsty is here to tell us more about her work so we can better make spiritual care a part of the interprofessional healthcare team. Welcome to the podcast, Kirsty. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> can you describe your responsibilities as a spiritual care provider? What kinds of patients do you see and what reasons are you seeing them for? Well, all kinds of patients from all walks of life. I think that's why I love my job so much because I can engage with them on just a human level and on the heart level. I mean, my role is basically to create a sacred space for them to self-express. You know, it could be really deep and really heavy and about as existential suffering that they're going through, but it can be also other things about, you know, their experience in hospital, right, and how they're coping with the sense of a loss of independence, right? And at the core of spiritual care, we try to encourage them to live out their authentic life and what that means to them. That's how we define spirituality. It's what's vital for them, what gives them life and hope. And that sounds like a really abstract thing that you're doing. So how do you get them to do that? Well, that's a great question. (laughs) Yeah, it's sort of this art of spiritual care, this double listening that we do. I mean, I can listen to the narrative, but what I'm really interested in is who is that person speaking? What are the deeper emotions behind their thoughts? Again, what I love about working in hospital is that we could quickly just get past the small talk. You know, one of the challenges of spiritual care is actually moving past just talk therapy, right? And again, going to the deeper pain, the loss, the grief. So when I'm doing that double listening, I'm really tapping into my own sense of awareness and what I'm feeling in my own intuition. And when I can engage with my own feelings on that deeper spiritual level, it somehow invites the other person to enter into that emotional level as well. Kirsty, when you're saying that, does a particular patient experience come to mind that you can share with us? There are so many. I take them all to heart. You know, in the experiences of suffering, it's still so possible to experience joy, you know, on that human level. So on the top of my head, I can think of a young patient, a young boy. He had a trauma and... In his recovery, he went through his own spiritual journey and introspection, and he was just having a really, really rough day. And I would just sit there doing that facilitative silence and the ministry of presence, and I just allowed him on his own terms, unburden what was on his heart. And afterwards, you know, he said, it's moments like these that get me through the week. I said, what do you mean by these Mm -hmm. moments? And he said, where there's absolutely no pressure at all. And I can just feel my emotions and let them out. And I feel like that just sums up 
what spiritual care is and what I do, where there's just no pressure. I see myself as that spiritual companion that comes alongside with and that they can just be who they are, not have to live up to certain expectations of themselves or what their family wants of them or the health team wants of them. That's really quite beautiful. I think that's something in palliative care we strive to do and that we know is important, but I'm not sure we know how to do that. If you were going to give some advice to practitioners, because you can't see every single patient in the hospital, what could you help us to know about being able to provide that for our patients? Hmm, That's a great question. My personal mantra is actually express the impression. I tell myself that all the time. I encourage that in my patients. And what I mean by that is about living that authentic life. So there needs to be some sort of congruence with what's going on in my heart, what I'm really feeling, and what I'm actually presenting, the facade that I'm putting up. And so express the impression is just an invitation, you know, for patients and for practitioners alike to give voice to your feelings inside. Listen to at the heart level You know, I was taught in spiritual care that it's really about narrowing the distance between the head and the heart. And I think we're so good at intellectualizing, rationalizing our emotions that somehow it filters out the soul. And so, you know, my invitation is to remove that filter in yourself and Mm -hmm. see what flows out. How do you see your work and the work of the healthcare professionals? How do you see that work coming together? If you could create an ideal environment that brings together the medicine side with the spiritual care side, what would that look like? I think recognizing and naming that a health crisis, a diagnosis or a trauma can lead to a spiritual crisis. Mm. And that spiritual crisis often can awaken one's sense of self to a deep sense of, again, longing or as existential questioning and purpose and loss. What I feel is we need to actually experience it first before we can even Mm. offer it. I encourage, you know, practitioners to get in touch with themselves. Mm. To answer your question, I really enjoy doing staff support Mm -hmm. and staff spiritual care. Mm -hmm. I find that so fulfilling because I can just engage with my colleagues who I admire and just kind of level with them. Mm Aside from the hospital policies and the routines and the protocols, what are you really feeling? And allowing them to experience spiritual care, I describe it as a soul hug. Hmm. Allowing them to experience that, they can offer that presence to their patients. And sometimes I've been on the floor when you've held sort of like nominational prayers for the floor. And I always find that it's such like a soothing and Mm. I think community building thing that you do. I always love being on the floor when you do that. But you know, I think oftentimes it is a difficult concept to grasp, right? Do you have any advice for people who may not work with spiritual care that often or who haven't really sort of referred to you as often about how to screen patients for who would be someone who would be a really good patient to be supported by spiritual care? What we notice as spiritual care practitioners, we were taught, is to notice hungry eyes. They don't have to say anything, but their body language, their eyes, the way they're searching, they're looking for a connection. Mm. They're lonely or they're, they're just out of sorts. And we've learned to just pick up on that. We usually address that. Like I'll usually, during my walkabout rounds, we'll notice that and I will just enter into that space and just say, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. It doesn't always have to be the person in distress. And when I say that, 
I also have to say, just because a person is crying, that also doesn't mean that needs to be wiped up mm-hmm. and cleaned up as fast as possible, right? That doesn't have to necessarily mean distress. It could be very cathartic. Oftentimes, staff think that we're there to dry up the tears. I think we're sort of taught as a society to sort of be uncomfortable mm-hmm. with that expression of emotion, but it can be so therapeutic. So sometimes you don't want to dry mm-hmm. up the tears. Yeah, I think the discomfort is in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Our natural tendency to want to rescue others, but those are sacred emotions. So along those same lines, you know, you kind of outlined how you can help support the patient. You probably have noticed as much as we have that oftentimes healthcare is very siloed, right? You have Mm -hmm. certain specialists doing certain things and they kind of stay in their own domain. But, you know, in palliative care, we feel like the best model of care is an interprofessional model of care. Mm -hmm. So how would you envision in sort of an ideal state. Do you feel that? Do you feel like oftentimes when referrals come to you, it's just sort of like, please help the patient Mm -hmm. or the family deal with their distress. And then, you know, you don't really see the rest of the team. Or do you see it more working like a team? And if so, like, how do you see us taking it to the next level? I think one of the challenges or one of the barriers to increased interprofessional collaboration is time. Mm right? It's the time crunch. I find working alongside the palliative care doctors, I do sense there's more time. There's more space created for them to talk on a personal level, to get to know the patient's personhood. But I would love to actually create something new, like even just a rounds that's actually created for sharing patient and staff experiences. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be really cathartic for the staff to be able to talk about how these patients have touched their lives, or this is what I remember about that person. That's nice. It's true. I feel like we have so much about grounding and we just talk about the medical aspects Mm -hmm. of things, but we don't really talk about the person aspect of things. I think that's why it's so helpful that you say you share elements of their personhood, of a patient's personhood with the team to bring their narrative to the forefront. I think that's definitely a way of improving care. The staff, I think, could grow Mm -hmm. closer together. So Kirsty, we usually try to finish our podcast with the same question, which is what do you wish health professionals knew about your experience? So if you could complete the sentence, if only they knew, what would you want the healthcare professionals or healthcare professional learners who are listening to know about what you do or spiritual care in general to help them be better practitioners in the future? To have the courage to lean into those places of isolation and loneliness and sadness. And by having that courage, that hope is to touch upon that sense of hope and renewed strength in patients. I think how I would really sum up my work, my profession is inviting patients to dare to say the things that their hearts can't say out loud. Yeah, that's how I'd sum it up. You make it sound so easy, (laughs) but I think it's harder than it sounds, Mm. which is why we need people like you. Yes. Yeah. So thank you so much. It's also like a pleasure working with you on the floor too. I just wanted to throw that in there, but thanks so much for taking the time out today to join us. It's been a real joy. And I think we just need that shared joy to get us through what we do. You're listening to About Empathy. We're going to take a short break to tell you about how the show is supported, and we'll be right back. The third season of About Empathy has been funded through donations to the palliative care team via the Sunnybrook Foundation. Sunnybrook is committed to patient engagement and care. By partnering with Sunnybrook, we hope that this podcast embeds patient and family experiences in all teaching and learning. To learn more about the education initiatives at Sunnybrook, visit sunnybrook.ca. 
About Empathy is recorded at Wellspring. Wellspring Cancer Support Foundation is a network of community-based support centers offering professionally-led programs and services to help people living with cancer and those who care for them. No referral is necessary, and Wellspring programs are offered free of charge. During the pandemic, all programs are available as online support groups, webinars, or as telephone-based supports via Well on the Web. Visit wellspring.ca to find a center location near you or to access national online programming. Welcome back to About Empathy. For me, it's always nice to talk to Kirsty. I feel like she's such a breath of fresh air when it comes to sort of the approach to taking care of patients and families. What did you guys think? What were the main points that stood out for you when talking to her today? I loved so much of what she said. I think one thing that really struck me was when she talked about trying to decrease the distance between the head and the heart, Mm -hmm. how she tries to help patients do that. And I just thought that was a good lesson for us as physicians as well, keeping in mind the importance of both the head and the heart. And I think it's not hard for physicians to remember the importance of the mind and the head and all the knowledge we need. But that heart part of understanding our emotions, being reflective, and bringing both parts to the patient, kind of that art and science of medicine, that really sort of spoke to me. Mm-hmm and how to bring that to our patient encounters and try and help our patients with that as well. I don't think we always know how to do that, although I think we recognize that it's important. In thinking about what she was saying, I think what she was saying was it was getting to know the heart of the person. Who's the person behind the illness? Who's that person? What makes them tick? I think in medicine, maybe we get scared away by the spiritual care aspects of the whole person, but that spiritual aspect is really who's that person? What's important to them? You know, what's distressing them? I think that it's hopefully something that's accessible to us as physicians. I think sometimes physicians see spirituality as the other, as that thing that is not part of their domain or their area, that it's almost like lobbed off at the end Mm -hmm. or set aside. And I don't see it that way. You know, I don't have the skills that Kirsty has, but I think that hopefully we can try and get at who that person is at their core. And I think that's what she was saying spirituality is, is what's the core of Mm -hmm. that person. I mean, I think that is sort of the foundation of palliative care too, right? This whole person-focused care. And I think the important thing that I want the listeners to also take away is it's not just about good patient care. A lot of it is about good patient care, but I think it also goes a long way to buffer yourself as a healthcare professional from feeling helpless Mm -hmm. because once you go beyond no cure, where do you go from there? Mm -hmm. There's still a lot of caring to be done right? But that can only be accomplished through understanding the heart, through understanding Mm -hmm. the person. So if you lob that off Mm. and you consider it a separate part, you're setting yourself up to feeling like a failure, Mm -hmm. which you're not, right? You are very well set up to be able to help the person even when you don't have a medication or treatment at your fingertips anymore. Yeah. And I think the connection between spiritual care and palliative care is also at that values level, because we talk a lot about values when we're planning for the future about what to expect in terms of individuals care over time and we as palliative care practitioners want to get at 
what's important to you? What do you value? What's the most important aspect of your life that you want to preserve or emphasize? And I feel like spiritual care does that as well. So I think that's an area where we're connected. And I think she also brought up the point of creating that safe space for mm-hmm. patients and the importance of really listening. Mm. And as palliative care physicians, I think we value that and want to do better at that. But it's not really easy. It doesn't matter how important I know that is. I still struggle with that. Mm -hmm. You know, not going in time restraints or you kind of have an agenda in your mind and just sitting there and giving the patient the space Mm -hmm. and time and that non-judgmental approach. Without an agenda. Without Because a lot of the time when we're going into a visit, there might be an agenda in terms of, is it assessing their symptoms? Is it trying to get at their goals of care or Mm -hmm. their advanced care planning wishes? I think the agenda is often there. So I think that's a really good tip that at some point in that interaction, it's helpful to let go of the agenda. Right. Yeah, and she's a really neutral space Mm, to be able to open up to and people don't feel pressured. I think with physicians, especially patients always feel like there's a little bit of a power differential Mm. is the correct word because it's not really, but sometimes patients may feel like they can't open up as much Mm. to a physician as they can to someone who's Mm -hmm. a spiritual care practitioner. You know, I liked also that she touched on that misconception that spiritual care is care for individuals who are religious and only individuals who are religious. And I think really clearly she said it's not about religion. It's about spirituality and it's about supporting individuals who are, as she described it, spiritual non-religious or who are atheist or agnostic and mm-hmm. and that it's not just about, you know, that patient who associates themselves with a certain faith background. It's yes. that it's really spiritual care is really more open than that. It's broader than that and that it shouldn't be boxed in. Mm-hmm. And Irene, you asked a good question to Kirsty about, you know, what kind of question should a healthcare provider perhaps ask to open up the spiritual care line of questioning? So I'm just wondering, you know, what do you do? I, I know sort of in my practice, I do ask a very generic question and, and I ask people, you know, sometimes in the face of a serious illness or stress, people use spirituality to help them cope. Is that what you're like? Is spirituality important to you? Does it help you in navigating your illness? That's been my approach. Irene and Dory, do you have a different approach to open up that line of questioning? I have two ways. One is similar to yours where I ask, are there any spiritual or religious considerations that I should know about you that's important for you to be able to care for you? Mm -hmm. The other sort of flag I get when I really want to engage spiritual care is when I get a sense of the fact that they're trying to find meaning. Mm in the experience that they're going through. Mm. So they're feeling a little bit lost. Why is this happening? Mm -hmm. That's the other time where I feel like I really want spiritual care to be able to come and help sort of explore this a little bit Mm. more. In my practice, I end up talking a lot to people about that illness affects us in so many ways, physical, emotional, social, and spiritual, and trying to understand and going through them differently. I mean, I think people offer automatically their symptoms, what they're feeling physically, often will also tell me because I'm in the counseling role about anxiety or feeling sad or depressed. They'll often very easily tell you about social, how it's affecting their role in their family. But spiritual, I think you have to dig a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. But when you ask about it, it's like when you say the word grief and you get this sense when you're looking at a patient that they get it and a light bulb goes Mm -hmm, off. mm -hmm. And then when you ask about that 
spiritual impact, the meaning this illness has on their life or some existential distress they're having. Mm -hmm. When you're able to ask about it, it opens it up for them to talk about. Mm -hmm. And you kind of normalize that that's a normal element of all human beings, that we have that part of us Mm -hmm. that gets impacted by an illness, a Mm -hmm. serious illness. I feel like we've sort of just hit the tip of the iceberg Mm -hmm. when it comes to what spiritual care can provide Mm -hmm. for our patients and for ourselves. Mm -hmm. But hopefully the discussion today will create some awareness with our listeners of all the benefits of bringing spiritual care into your regular practice, Mm -hmm. into your inner circle of interprofessionalism so that moving forward, you know, they can help provide patients with better holistic care. And working together too. I think oftentimes, Irene, you spoke to silos. There's a lot of silos in the hospital setting, but the idea of even working or trying to achieve more collaborative care and then the intersection between the medical and the spiritual side because oftentimes i think perhaps we work in parallel but our paths don't necessarily intersect so it's how do we encourage that intersection thank you for listening to season three of about empathy we hope the story that you heard today has inspired you to engage in compassionate authentic and empathic interactions subscribe to about empathy on apple podcasts or listen on our website aboutempathy.com. When you subscribe and rate our podcast, it helps others find us. The episode will be added to your app when we publish. Please share our podcast with your family, friends, colleagues, and health professionals. You can find the notes from today's episode and information about our show on the website. About Empathy is a Kickback Productions podcast hosted by Giovanna Siriani, Dori Zagraja, and Irene Yang. Recorded and produced by Jackie Skinner with additional production and writing by Laura Takahashi. Music by Jerry Finn and Jackie Skinner. The podcast is recorded on-site at Wellspring and funded by the Sunnybrook Foundation at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre. Visit us at aboutempathy.com.